Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. G'day everybody, it is episode 88 of the V8 Sleuth podcast and on this one we are looking at a classic car. Now Glenn Seaton is perhaps the most famous driver never to win the Bathurst 1000 and the car that we're taking a look on this episode is number 30 Peter Jackson Falcon that came oh so close to conquering the mountain in 1995. With nine laps remaining, an engine problem for Glenn Seaton and the Peter Jackson Falcon has dropped a valve, badly misfiring. The engine has died on the race leader, can you believe that? Look at Bo. Bo is Barry absolutely Seaton. shattered. Commiserations, mate. Yeah, Alan, pretty disappointing. We've got so close today, just can't believe it. This is just heartbreaking, I tell you. Heartbreaking stuff there on Channel 7. Viewers around the country were in tears. Cedo fans have not got over it. Will Daly's alongside me for this episode of the podcast. Is there a more emotional moment, Will, in Bathurst 1000 history than that one? I can't think of one off the top of my head because if you weren't a Seton fan and if you weren't a Larry Perkins fan, I tell you what, after watching that interview, you probably were a Glenn Seton fan because... You then understood the sort of emotion that he'd been through of getting that close. And I don't think there'd be too many drivers who would have handled that situation with the dignity that Glenn did on that day. Like, I can't even imagine how he came up with the words that he did. Yeah, it's just, it's not done in sport, is it? That's So, it's nine laps to go in the Bathurst 1000. For those who might not know the story... Glenn Seaton, and, and more. there's more detail and more in-depth on this in his book that came out late last year that we've published with Glenn, his autobiography. It's Seto, the official racing history, Glenn Seaton. You can buy it from our online bookshop. Uh, the website address is bookshop.vhsleuth.com.au. We've got a very special deal that we'll cover off in just a sec uh, with a special discount code for another of our titles. But... He explains the background that the Peter Jackson cigarette sponsorship was disappearing. Uh, he was under real pressure. Things weren't going well with his dad behind the scenes. Nine laps from home, 30 years on from his dad winning the race, 30 grand or the Cortina bonus on the line, and the thing dies. Nine laps to go. But what I said before, the it's like an AFL grand final. You don't see the losing team who've just lost the biggest match of the year. They're not interviewed on the ground after the game. This is like being 35 points down with two minutes to go, knowing you're going to lose, and having an interview done <laughs> back to the box. I mean, it doesn't happen in any other form of sport other than in, in motorsport, and and I think Glenn won more people that day than if he'd won the race. Absolutely. There are many aspects of our sport that make it very unique, and that and the ability, certainly back at, certainly at the time, to talk to drivers as they were going around the track or as they had immediately retired off the track. Um it's it's something that's very special for mo- that motorsport has. It's really weird, really different to other sports fans to get their heads around. But Glenn Seaton's 1995 Bathurst car could very well have been worth a lot. Well, it is worth a lot of money because it's a Glenn Seaton Bathurst car and it's part of that amazing story. But the car that we're focusing on in this episode of Classic Cars is GSR6. It's the sixth Falcon that Glenn Seaton Racing built of the E-Series. So the EBs, the EFs, the ELs. This was an EF. 
and it was one of the – I think this was the only Seton lightweight body shell. Remember that there was a real furor <laughs> leading into the Enduros that year that Ford teams had been using deliberately lightened body shells uh, to build their cars from, thus being able to start at a lower point and, and, and ballast them up to the, the weight that was required. Caused a big stink in the Holden fans and teams weren't too, too thrilled about it either. Admittedly, they had been doing a similar thing, if not necessarily with entire body shells, but they had been apparently pressing lightweight panels, but that had stopped by that point. And what Ford had been doing was doing a special run of body shells from, made from a lighter gauge metal, and mm. run, doing a special run down the line. Those shells were given to Glenn Seaton Racing, to Dick Johnson Racing, I believe Tony Longhurst Racing as well. And Tony Longhurst got the he was the he had one under build when they banned them for 1996 that he was allowed to finish. Mm. He was the last one. Alan Jones was about to build two new ones when he <laughs> left Seaton's team mm. for Pack Leader Racing. Got squashed. Had to wait a few extra weeks for a couple of more standard body shells to be delivered from Melbourne. So. Um, yeah, it's one of those elements of V8 history that, from a technical point of view, uh, plenty of people were up in arms about back in 1995. Before we go on with talking about our Glen Seaton Classic car, you want an offer? Of course. I've got offers. Hey, if you are a listener, and this is exclusive to the podcast, so this is a little thank you to our podcast listeners who've been with us right throughout the course of 2019, 2020, and now into 2021. Uh, by the way, awesome feedback on our Thunderdome episode last time round. I've got a feeling we might do some more NASCAR Oscar content down the track. We've got a deal for our listeners on our Bathurst 12-hour Going Global book. We are going to knock 10 bucks off the price for podcast listeners who order it from our online bookshop. The way you do it is you go to bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au, add the Bathurst Going Global book or books to your cart. We won't say no if you buy two or three. <laughs> Use the code word PEPPER, P-E-P-P-E-R, Jordan Pepper won the race in the Bentley last time out. Of course. No 12-hour this year, by no. the way, too. So this book is absolutely up to date to 2020's 12-hour. Every car, every year of the GT era of the 12-hour from 2011 onwards, there's a photo of every car, all the results, great chapters by Richard Crow recapping all the, the races along that time. Uh, it will be current till 2022, so it's a must-have book for the bookshelf. As a thank you from us to you, we're knocking 10 bucks off that book for our podcast listeners. Use the code Pepper in the checkout of our online store. That offer runs to February the 28th, and it's not valid with any other offer. It is a podcast special because we like to look after the people who look after us and our listeners look after us. So jump on the website and grab yourself a copy of the 12-hour book. Um, Glenn Seaton's 1995 Bathurst car that ground to a halt uh, in in 95 at Bathurst it, I just repeated myself, said the same thing twice over, it was new at the start of the year. So it wasn't a converted EB. A lot of teams upspec their EB to EF. This was actually built fresh as an EF. And it's interesting to because we always considered this car to be a car that was very unlucky not to win Bathurst. This car was also very unlucky not to win a championship I as well. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, totally. So John Bauer, of course, famously won the 1995 Australian Touring Car Championship, clinched it at the final round in a three-way shootout with Glenn Seaton and Peter Brock. And he brained him. He brained him. He did. He had it wrapped up by the end of the first race. Yeah. But you look back at Seaton's season, and apart from the first race where he finished 10th, every other race he finished, he finished inside the top three. But the problem was there were races he didn't finish. Exactly. And I think that 10th, was that not after he and... 
Bowed got together in the wet at Sandown on the first lap, and that was a recovery drive. Can't remember if that was the first race or the second race where that happened. Oh, I got a feeling it was the first one. Anyway, Either way. I think the gear shift broke at Eastern Creek from my memory. Yeah, in uh, the middle of a run of six races where Glenn won the other five, and he was leading at Eastern Creek when that gear lever broke. Mm, and that was a place where he dominated. He'd won the triple challenge at the start of that year in a different chassis. Um, his team had dominated. Well, actually, no, Alan Jones no, won that AJ year. The EB, yeah, Seaton yeah. had won the previous couple of years, so the team had a mortgage on um, on the win- on the Winfield. Yeah, event. which was the whole irony of it, wasn't it, that it wasn't their event. But he won four rounds in 95 in this car, the, the Bathurst car. Phillip Island, where he always went well. Lake With the Sites speed hump had, sticker on the back. That speed hump sticker was on the back. There's a photo of it in the book. By the way, get on the website, order the book, you know the <laughs> drill. Um, Lakeside, which was DJR's home test track territory, Malala and Barbagallo. So he really came on strong in the back end of the year, also finished on the podium at Winton and at Oran Park. So I haven't done the numbers of how many points he lost with the gear shift. I think the gear shift broke when he was leading. He did. Yeah, so it would have been hard for him to knock over Bow, but a couple of results go the other way and suddenly you're looking at Glenn Seaton three-time. Australian Touring Car Champ, not two-time Australian Touring Car Champ, but um, kind of a case of what could have been exactly. with this car, really, isn't it? Um, and, of course, that was the year that it was the last year of cigarette advertising, and it was kind of, as a kid, I mean, I was a kid, you were a kid in that era. Yeah. Uh, it was just par for the course of Australian motor Absolutely. racing. Cigarette brands and companies were, were advertising their wares, and it, it was going to draw a big amount of money out of particularly a couple of teams but we've we weaned ourselves off the cigarette money. There was an alcohol surge with what do we have? A Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, Bundy, VB. VB. We had a pile of different alcohol and beers and spirits sort of in the sport. They sort of they weren't um, legislated out, but over time they just ended up not involved. Um, we've had to wean ourselves off manufacturer money because, of course, there was a time where Holden and yeah. Ford were tipping huge amounts of money into cars right up and down the grid, more into the top end, but they were still whether it be through parts or other things, um, helping out everywhere else. So to get your head around a big source of income for the sport disappearing overnight, this was a really big, pivotal year for a couple of teams. Seaton was able to survive and grow, whereas Gibson Motorsport really spluttered when they probably would have deemed to have been the one that if you were going to bet money in hmm. 95 on which team was going to bounce back out the other side of the tobacco money, you'd have probably put your money on Gibson's. Well, that's the thing, along with the sponsorship. And if you think about how those Glen Seaton racing cars looked in the Peter Jackson era, stunning. They're blue. iconic Seaton cars. Not many other sponsors on it, apart from Peter Jackson, though. Didn't have to. Exactly. What was it? Bridgestone, obviously. Bridgestone, did tyres. Paint was sponsor. A bit of a mixture of different oils that popped up depending on deals. But I think in 95. On deals with AJ, generally. <laughs> Adjip was a. Because yeah. he had the Adjip backing with that Formula Ford Motorsport Academy he was running. Mm. So that appeared on 95, on the 95 cars. But I, I think that, yeah, you read a lot from fans these days saying, oh, the cars were far more crisp and clean in their liveries. And, you know, well, they've got to put as many stickers on it now depending on how much the yeah. stickers worth. That's the thing. Mm. Uh, the money that cigarette companies threw back in those days was if people had that amount of money now, they, you know, comparatively yeah. speaking, you know, 20, 30 years on, oh, stoked. And that's probably the key difference where the Gibson and Glenn Seaton racing paths diverge. Lead up to Christmas in 96, Glenn gets some money from Ford Credit and some money from Bridgestone. Oh, whereas, Christmas 95. Sorry, yeah. Christmas 95. Yeah. Uh, whereas Gibson Motorsport, there was no saviour. 
not for a few years. It was a blank white Commodore there for a, a fair while the following season. Mm-hmm. Uh, blank red when they used the spare car at Santa. But anyway, we digress. Yes. Glenn Seaton's Bathurst 1995 car, the number 30 Peter Jackson Falcon. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. So Seaton finishes second in this car in the Touring Car Championship. They signed for the Enduros Alan Grice and David Parsons. David Parsons had been with the team for quite some time, back to the Sierra days. Of course, Grice, he started that year with the Pinnacle team. The Honourable Member for Broadwater. Exactly. Uh, That all fell apart pretty quickly, the Pinnacle thing. So he pops up on the radar, gets snapped up by Seaton's team. So for Sandown 500, it's Seaton and Alan Grice in car 30, AJ and Skippy in 35, but Glenn rests his championship car and his Bathurst car. He didn't run the car we're talking about in our V8 Sleuth Classic Car podcast. Didn't run the Sandow 500. So Seaton and Grice actually finished second in the spare car, which Grice had driven at Oran Park. Um, so it saved up car 30 for Bathurst, but there was a swap yes. up at Bathurst because it was going to be Seaton and Grice. It was during practice. Glenn pulled rank as the team owner because, of course, you could – wait up until the, the nomination time to swap your drivers across your entries. That's what he did, grab Skippy in with him, put Grice in with Jones, and uh, it's no doubt there was a very awkward, strange feeling around that team going into that weekend. Oh, the overall vibe must have been very, very, very difficult if you were inside the team. Like From the outside, it seemed, as we described earlier, that like there are all these key elements, like, the sponsorship, the fact that the lead driver was the sorry, he the um his teammate was leaving to start his own race team, having nicked a couple of key elements from another top forward team. And oh, by the way, was also taking the sponsor that you weren't actually meant to have for 1996 in terms of cigarette advertising. Well, you could have them. It was Philip Morris, the parent company. It just wasn't advertising a cigarette cigarette range. So that's you, true. You that's couldn't buy a packet of pack liter cigarettes. No, good luck trying to find something and pack liter anything. Yeah. That'd be a good brand name, actually. Uh, I'm sure it's probably not available, but <laughs> no. pack liter pencils or something. I don't know. Uh, it's right up there with Mission Winnow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's a whole other podcast, I reckon. So GSR6, the, the Bathurst Falcon, of course, it, um, it actually had an interesting life because- to everyone out there who think, well, it's the car that didn't win Bathurst, that's it. It actually did a bunch of other interesting stuff. So clearly it grinds to a halt at Bathurst uh, with nine laps to go. Uh, Larry Perkins and Russell Inglesweet pass to go on and, and take victory overall. Glenn's not sure where his team's going at the end of that year. He doesn't know what's up, what's down, where his money's coming from. Can he keep everyone on? How many cars can he run? What's going on? So... Remember that they ran at the Peter Brock Classic at Paula, ah, yes. the Under Lights event, and then they also had the Australian Grand Prix before that in Adelaide, the last Grand Prix in Adelaide. And the last race in PJ Colours because of the Peter Brock Classic, they ran Bridgestone. a Bridgestone livery. Yep, correct. So this car wasn't used at either of those events. He put this car aside and saved it up for 1996. So uh, they had three cars. And at this time too, what we haven't really talked about, he split with his dad, Bo. Mm. There'd been a bit of friction and in the end, Bo decided to depart. And as they sort of split the team, he took one of the cars with him. Mm. So one went with him, one was left with Glenn and one went to John Sydney Racing for Max Dumsney to drive. 
the the Speedway and, and NASCAR star in, in 1996. So who in turn. John Sydney Racing then supplied Glenn Seaton Racing engines as Glenn, of course, had just lost his engine man. That's right. So Scotty Owen, and he comes back into the story on this a little bit later on, um, who'd been with Glenn's team for some time, um, he ended up uh, popping back up <laughs> down the track, uh, tuning up engines and the like. But the, the, the connection point is, so this car from Bathurst 95 rolled into 1996. It became the Ford Credit car, which as much as the PJ cars are, trademark Seaton that everyone remembers. I think Ford Credit's just about pretty comparable. Clearly won a championship in one of the following cars in, in 97. But I reckon you say Ford Credit Falcon, everyone will remember Glenn Seaton driving one. Absolutely. Those clean, clean, crisp, white, red and blue colours. It was a beautiful livery. Yeah, I reckon it looked apart. And he used this car in 96 in the Touring Car Championship and he still did some stuff. Five podiums, three race wins. Uh, he used it to also win the very first ever Albert Park touring car support race in the Melbourne Grand Prix in, in 96. And then on the, the Sunday, Brock beat him in a pretty close fight uh, late in, in that race. So it was still doing stuff. And then the link to the John Sydney stuff was that he had a new car coming for Bathurst 96, but he used this one for the Sandown 500 where he finished a very narrow second in a great fight at the end. It's one of the overlooked um, great dices of touring car history because Lowndes was the wonder kid. I think he passed him with, what, three laps to go? Two when to Glenn go. suffered a mechanical issue with the engine. Came onto the straight, didn't go, got a bit sideways, mm. bogged down. Craig got the drive and the grandstand went nuts and the kid who'd won the Touring Car Championship won Sandown and, of course, went on and, and won Bathurst. But I think from memory, was that the debut of the John Sydney engine in the Seton Falcons? Possibly. Yeah, might have been. A anyway, so they ran that car at Sandown and finished second and then went to the new car for Bathurst, which took the, the pole position and also um, Glenn infamously forgot to do his helmet up. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, Glenn, Glenn certainly does. Yeah, yeah. Which well, I think we talked to him. Uh, I talked to him about that and all these elements of this era in our podcast with him late last year. So if you haven't heard of our, our Glenn Seaton episode, go back and have a listen through our archive of episodes from from late last year. But this car's work wasn't done in 1996 because normally the end of the year in that period was the Adelaide Grand Prix. That's it. Everyone's done. Go on holidays. But that year, the New Zealand series was happening. They've been trying to get it up for a few years to get the V8s over there. They finally did a 12-car field for Wellington and Pukekohe, or actually Pukekohe, Wellington. Yes. So Glenn took this car, his older car, across the ditch at the end of that year and um, and, and ran it, of course. Murph famously won the series, won at Pukki. Um, John Bow won the Wellington event overall. Um, but, of course, there's a bunch of Wellington content in the uh, Wellington Street Race book that came out late last year that's also in our online bookshop. I don't have a deal on that one. But if you buy your 12-hour book, you buy the Wellington book, you know, you're getting a good deal on the 12-hour book because we've got an exclusive podcast code. So, yes. You know, it's, that's the go. Um, but this car then sort of became the backup car for Glenn Seaton in the, in the next year or so. Um, up spec to EL from EF, so pretty minor sort of an aero type uh, a change. Um, <laughs> and then it got ironic because this was at a time when the Gold Coast – wasn't a part of the well, way in Albert Park, weren't part of the championship. Mm. So Glenn did the right thing in 1997. I'm going well in the championship. I'm going to leave my good new car sitting there. I'll take my older one of the Gold Coast to save and protect my regular car. 
What happened, Will? It went to plan. <laughs> in a, in a, in it a went way. to plan as to why he took it, not so yeah. much how he got home with it. Because famously, Glenn was involved in a multi-car shunt at the second chicane early in... Was it... On a restart? Uh, it was, it was on a, It was on the first lap of a, of the Saturday race. Yeah, he had a partially jammed throttle. That fired him into the wall. Yeah. And then um, the following train of cars him. just went bang, 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 and literally just kept on ploughing in until the field had all just about parked up. But, um, of course, he won the championship in 1997. That was in the next car, the Chassis 7. The, the car we're talking about, Chassis 6, wasn't done with. Again, got wheeled out in 1998. Uh, there was a deal done with Bob Forbes, who, of course, had formerly run the GIO team, uh, for his son Rodney to become Glenn's teammate. Bit of budget, obviously, was going into the kitty to help GSR along. So Rodney only lasted Albert Park and Lakeside, and Glenn pulled a pin on the deal, which he talks about in a bit more depth in, in the book. Um, and then this car, again, on the Gold Coast, is in a great position, Um but this time it's the Neil Crompton curse. The Crompton curse. The Crompton curse struck in 1998 driving this very car. Gold Coast yeah. leading, Neil's big opportunity, Glenn's having the weekend off because he hated, he really hated the Gold Coast, not a fan of it. Mm. Um, Crompton's come back from America. He's done a few rounds of the Touring Car Championship with Glenn. Uh, Bathurst that stage was in November. So uh, Indy was in October. So this was kind of the non-championship warm-up race for for Bathurst, everyone's saving their regular cars again. So this one comes out. Neil's leading the way and the Watts linkage breaks. And old mate Larko <laughs> gets the double win on the weekend of his life in supercars. And poor Uncle Neil um, got no trophies. So Well, at least at least Larko got something. The man who was at that point traditionally, perennially, perennially the unlucky driver yeah, in supercars got true. a win. Yeah, he, he was the guy that... Uh, uh, yeah, he had all the bad luck there for a long time, so someone had to have a little bit of good luck. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego the number two, and oil, and find out. Um, this car actually went to, remember privateer Charles Ryman from mm. Queensland? He had a couple of different ex-Seaton cars, but he got his hands on this one. Anthony Tratt, Seaton's mate, yeah. leased it in early 1999. He was, um, he'd pulling, he'd driven Seto's old, old car that was the John Sydney car. Then the parts were coming out of that to go into an AU. He needed a car to run uh, early in 99, so he briefly had it. And then uh, Ryman ran it. Uh, Wayne Wakefield raced it. Um, the Cedars team ran it at the 2000 Konica V8 Lights, and they ran it at Bathurst that year as well in, in the wet. And then it spent like 15 years in sports sedan mode with a few mods and stuff. And then in 2016, Scott Owen, who'd been the engine man for, uh, <laughs> for Glenn for so many years, um, got his hands on it, and eventually over time, the plan is to restore it to its 1995 Bathurst spec and livery. So uh, I think when – it's probably going to take some time, and it's obviously been a few years since he's had it. Long-term project. You, if you wheeled that car out tomorrow in the livery with the Tui's 1000 sticker on it, Seton Parsons on the window, mate, that's a cool, impressive V8 Sleuth classic car, no doubt. That's worth good money. Absolutely. It, as we said, it, as we said off the top, it 
sure, it's not a Bathurst winner, but there's got to be a tier slightly below that because this is one of the most famous cars not to have won Bathurst. Yeah, and I reckon sometimes, yep, other than the winning car, who remembers the runners-up? Hmm. People remember cars like this more than the Alan Jones, Alan Grice runner-up car of 1995, albeit a, a team Peter Jackson car. Hmm. Uh, it's that story that no one remembers second place exactly. Yeah, yeah. it it, uh, it totally does. It's a unique part of Bathurst history, of Glen Seaton's history, of Ford history, um, and it could have been the car that delivered him a big challenging question: thirty thousand dollars <laughs> or pick the Cortina that won in '65. He was going to pick the thirty grand because he needed the money if he won the race. It was a promo that was put up by the race organisers, which at the time was. Uh, the council, Channel Seven, the Australian Racing Drivers Club, because the year before they'd done the same thing. They mm. pulled the Brock stunt with if he could win his tenth Bathurst, they'd give him a hundred grand, which was ten grand invested at ten to one to mm. be able to do that. So that's one of those things that I think about that car and that potential of the prize. That Cortina would be worth a fair amount of money. Um, it spent a lot of time over its years in the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama Bathurst Tour. Great friends of ours, if you're in central west of New South Wales, stop on in there, open every day bar Tuesday, jump on the museum's Bathurst website or the National Motor Racing Museum Facebook page to double-check their opening times. But uh, it spent a lot of time there over the years, and I reckon it would be so cool to one day line up the number 30 oh, Falcon. Yeah. Next to the Cortina. Absolutely, absolutely. It was sort of a full circle moment. Sort of, sort yeah, of full, yeah. Full circle of what could have been. Yeah. Because at the time that he decided, or if he had have decided which was what, 30 grand or the car, he took the 30 grand. Mm. What's the Cortina worth now? A lot more than 30 grand for sure. Oh, no doubt. you would think. You would no think. Doubt. With inflation, <laughs> yes. <laughs> inflation always has to be added into well, these things. Well, it's a Bathurst winner. It's a Bathurst winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're not making any more Bathurst winning Cortinas, that's for no. sure, anytime soon. Uh, great to sit here and take a look back at GSR6. We haven't done a classic car episode for quite some time. If you've got a specific car you'd love to hear the history of or to hear us talk a bit further about it, get in touch with us via our social accounts. You know where to find us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send us an email via the vhsleuth.com.au website. You can subscribe to our newsletter too um, where we keep you up to date of all the bits and pieces that are coming up in our world, whether it be items for pre-order, our, our book publications, um, stories on our website. Um, make sure you join our, our subscription list to make sure you're across everything. Uh, episode Episode 88, Will, is done. We're two into the new year. Thunderdome, Cedo Classic Car. Next week, the plan is that we sit down and chat with someone, which we haven't done for a little while. No, we haven't. We haven't We haven't been allowed to do no, it for it's a been little a bit while. Too, it's been a bit too hard, Basket. Uh, I can park the Zoom machine for a moment because Lee Holdsworth is going to sit down with me one-on-one -on -one in the wake of his departure from Tickford and his arrival in TCR Australia in an Alfa Romeo this year. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we're going to give it the sleuth signature. We're going to go back over the days and take a look at the Holdsworth career because when you stop and look at it, he's actually done and been around for a lot longer than a lot of people probably think. Oh, absolutely, and done a lot of cool things. Came into the sport and via a very unusual pathway compared to pretty much all of his contemporaries. And just to tie it back to this episode, of course, after Glenn Seaton finishing up with the number 30 after he won the championship, after he had to hand the number one over at the end of his reign, he chose number five. That number five, of course, 
eventually became Ford Performance Racing's number five, which mm-hmm. became Pro Drive Racing Australia, which mm-hmm. became Tickford Racing, <laughs> which is the number that Lee Holdsworth used last two years. Nice link between episodes. Got there in the Got end. Got there in the end, but it was a good one. Uh, that's a new challenge, how to link every episode to the next episode. That's going to be hard. I don't know how we would have connected Glenn Seaton to the Thunderdome, but Not probably that he never, he never raced uh, a NASCAR, but he did Race drive the in the... The link track world touring car race in, in 87. So there you go. We're, that, that, there's our links done. We'll have to keep doing it now for the rest of the year. As I mentioned at the start, don't forget our Bathurst Going Global podcast special promo, our Bathurst 12 hour book. We're going to give you 10 bucks off that book. If you jump on our website, bookshop.vhsluth.com.au, uh, add the code PEPPER, P E P E R, when you're going through the checkout. It is an offer valid until February 28. It is not valid with any other offer. Uh, Will, thank you for sitting down and going down Cedo Memory Lane. The book Glenn Seaton's available now, online bookshop. It's a doozy. We've had some great responses and reviews and feedback over the course of Christmas and the New Year's break. So grab yourself a copy. In the meantime, uh, more classic cars during the year, I think we should do. Yeah, I reckon. Any suggestions? Not yet. We'll get the fans to get the fans to give us their suggestions. Get on the socials and get in touch. That is episode 88, episode 2 of the season of 2021 for the V8 Sleuth podcast. In the meantime, I'm Aaron Noonan. He's been Will Dale. In fact, he still is. And we'll chat to you next week when I sit down one-on-one with Lethal, Lee Holdsworth. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.